It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the Chop Podcast. I'm Charles Firth and with me today, as ever, is Joe Dyer. Hello. And David Milner. Hi. Now, David, you are going to be unbelievably obnoxious in this podcast, aren't you? Yes, and I have earned the right to be. Thank you, Charles. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. I didn't know you were going to be unbelievably obnoxious, so <laughs> I'm intrigued and excited already. Joe, what you may have missed is that I am the only pundit that called the Victorian election correctly, which is a baffling <laughs> occurrence because it was extremely obvious to absolutely everybody that lives here that this was going to happen. And it was not only was it extremely obvious, but it's what the data was saying. So why the commentary around the data was so extraordinary? Well, I have theories on that too. All the polls were indicating that the heavy odds-on favourite was going to win with a predictable majority and, and no one predicted this. It's it's a strange A very occurrence. strange state of affairs. And I'm sure you probably have views as to why that is as well. Well, it's allowed me to write an article called Why Everyone Except Me Was Wrong About the Victorian <laughs> Election. Yeah, and where is that article? Because I, I believe it was due last night, Dave, wasn't it? Was it <laughs> I was writing this article for you at 2 a.m. last night, Charles, so I wouldn't get, you know, we'll, mm. let's talk about unionisation at the shot. And yeah, okay, <laughs> good luck organising a union. You can't even organise yourself to write an article. Um, <laughs> I note that you handed it in. Ten minutes ago. Are we going to do this publicly every time? I'm just, I'm just trying to pull you down because it's very funny. I've, I've just read your article. Well, I've read half of it. I didn't have time to read the whole of it because you only just fucking handed it in. I'm the only pundit that got this right. I'll hand it in when I feel like <laughs> handing it in. <laughs> so what, what does it say about Australian media? The interesting thing here, I think, is that the Murdoch narrative shifted from just feeding the cooker fever dream that we were going to rise up against tyranny to depicting a a race that was actually close and competitive. And this was sort of a more viable, slightly more plausible version of the same nonsense. But what we then saw was the rest of the media landscape treating the Herald Sun's angle as plausible, incredible, and taking it seriously and giving their own takes on this close election. The Age got on it, the ABC got on it, Mm. and it created this reality that wasn't at all aligned with what actually happened here, which was a very convincing Daniel Andrews win, that again, I think almost everybody except the most insane people in the state Mm. predicted. I don't Mm. think that was certainly from the outside. I mean, given how appalling the opposition was and given the strength of the centralised leadership of Dan Andrews, it certainly didn't ever seem to be in question that they were going to win a resounding victory and it now looks as if it could even be as strong. I mean, the, the primary vote will be down somewhat, but, you know, there are a few seats still in play that perhaps you can talk us through, but it could be, the majority could be as big as the Dan slide. Mm. No, a- mm. absolutely. The the interesting things out of this election are how, I mean, it, it's shown that this extreme, I mean, we're calling them 
the cooker vote. I, I, we need to come up with a better phrase than that. It's ridiculous. But the people who are still protesting against lockdowns and anti-vaccine mandates to this day, every weekend, mm. it's proven that that, that is an electorally insignificant block and a very silly thing to pivot an entire major political party around or a major daily newspaper for that matter as well. There just aren't that many of them. Political parties, especially the major political parties, tend to be quite rational and and expedient in their calculations, right? Yeah. Is it that the Liberal Party calculated that, you know, there was a, a sentiment there that wasn't being picked up in the polls that they could really tap into? Or is it that the Liberal Party has been captured by people who are so ideologically... The cookers. <laughs> yeah, the cookers. Yeah, like, the, that in actual fact, they didn't care that it was an electorally losing strategy. That, you, know, you know how you got the sense that Scott Morrison really didn't care that, that Catherine Daves was going to mean that Josh Frydenberg lost his seat. It, it was sort of like, no, but it's more important to just you know, really have a bit of transphobia. I think that he thought that that would generate electoral support in the outer suburbs. Mm. So he was sacrificing the inner city elites that he didn't have much time for anyway in order to try and bolster those kind of seats where they had a majority of people voting against, you know, same-sex marriage, for example. Mm. But I think he vastly overestimated this groundswell of support for transphobia. Mm. and that we've kind of moved on and at the same time, even if people are transphobic, it couldn't outweigh their contempt for him. Um, and I think to an extent that's what was playing in Victoria as well, is that mm. they kind of believed that people would overlook the fact that they were just staggeringly incompetent and ideologically blind um, mm. and that that was, they would, all of the voters would overlook that because boo, lockdowns and Dictator Dan. But surely their polling, their message testing must have been showing that it... Because like, I've done message testing for the ALP, right, like back 25 years ago, where they... Te- like, literally, every time you hear a candidate say a line in public, I used to test it four weeks beforehand and say, would that make you more or less likely to vote for Bob Carr, you know? <laughs> In the upcoming election. And do they just go, oh, I see, like 89% of people think that that's a <laughs> lunatic idea. Well, let's just <laughs> say it anyway. Like, let's like, just like go what was it. going on? Like, or, or, or is it that they weren't doing that, they were just reading Andrew Bolt, and then Andrew Bolt was going on Sky News, and then they were watching Sky News, and they were just in their little bubble, and they thought everyone agreed with them. That, for me, is the plausible theory that these people are in their own disconnected little bubble mm. huffing each other's yeah. farts, like regurgitating them back amongst themselves. But, but, this is what happened with the ABC and Fairfax incorporating this weird Murdoch reality into their But the reporting. problem with that, Dave, is there's such a diverse party. Like, there is a, a range of, of white middle-aged men aged between 38 <laughs> And 54. Oh, the broad church. All of whom are very diverse. I mean, have you seen the, the lineup of candidates? That is a broad church. It's a broad church. See, for that to be plausible, you'd have to say, no, no, they all just are the same style of people. But the Liberal Party is this broad. Yes. Well, one of our major yes. parties that couldn't be narrowing their appeal and their demographic to such a degree, surely. It, it is a strange choice. They must believe in it ideologically because the numbers are just... It clearly doesn't add up that in what is proving to be Australia's most progressive state to move your party mm. into the extreme end it seems 
It's a terrible play. Yeah. Or if if you were going to go in the extreme end, you'd sort of go to the socialists because they got like 5% of the vote, didn't they? <laughs> like, when 15% into it's great. Yeah, that's right. What is interesting, I think, is that there is an analogy that can be drawn between what happened in Victoria on the weekend and actually what happened in the US in the midterms is that even when there was some support for these parties, you saw that support fall away fairly dramatically for the most insane conspiratorial and in Victoria's case, these sort of weird Pentecostal kind of candidates. So those who had come out and been really wild and crazy, they actually got less support. It's like Louise Staley losing a seat potentially. I mean, it's mm. like she was the one who first introduced us to Stairgate. <laughs> and what happens, how is she rewarded yeah. by being turfed out of parliament? So yet again, it is the, the crazies within these parties, ostensibly major parties, who are underestimating the common sense of the Australian electorate and indeed even the American electorate, which is surprisingly common sense to in some ways. This is it. And this is the public treating, again, this deranged Murdoch narrative with less reverence than the rest of the media does. The rest of the media should just catch up and start ridiculing yes, this yes. nonsense because that is where the public zeitgeist is. Yeah, yes. and then we had to sit through James Campbell on Insiders on a Sunday morning. So the day after his paper, the mm-hmm. paper that he, of which he was political editor, mm. has been utterly repudiated, that when we're supposed to sit through and take seriously what he has to say on the ABC, I mean, it is that kind of echo chamber, mm. but in an extraordinary way that the ABC plays into that. And I would go further and say that it was very strange that no one on the ABC called him out for that directly the morning afterwards for being so askew with reality. Yeah, even for mm. people like Catherine Murphy and we thank God we had Nikki Saddleback who has now been mm-hmm. just throwing truth bombs all over the place about um, Scott Morrison, which is hilarious and we might get onto that in a minute. But did they put on the Australian guy because they had Nikki Saddleback? Isn't that the way the ABC works? Is they go, oh, we've got somebody really who is in touch with reality. We've got to put James Campbell on as well, just to balance things up. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that I I find it extraordinary that it was just ignored, um, that that he is taken in any way seriously. Um, In the same way, you know, they don't have Peter Cregan on. Why don't they have me on? I was the only guy that got it right. (laughs) Yeah, well, why don't they have you on? They should have you on. You should be on there. You should be on the drum. They're probably afraid that you'll swear. (laughs) If I'm out of bed that early on Sunday morning, I'm entitled to be swearing. So can we talk a little bit about the upper house, Dave? because I'm still enthralled by that and the fallout on the Animal Justice Party's sting that we touched on at the last, mm. uh, in our last podcast and the fact that... But the other thing that I wasn't fully cognizant of um, until the election weekend was that Fiona um, Patton had been largely responsible for persuading the legalised cannabis party to register and run in Victoria to run as a feeder um, for the progressive side. And it looks like they're getting going to get at least two candidates up and it's possible that they might get a third up at Fiona's expense. Wow. I had not heard that. I'd been sort of knee deep in the uh, the other house while I was writing my column. That is very interesting. Hopefully that won't happen. So uh, great. Let's get two weed representatives in the upper house in Victoria. I'll be thinking about that. But um, not at Fiona Patton's expense because she is a fantastic legislator and has really been, as I think we talked about last time, responsible for dragging uh, the Labor Party over to some more progressive social issues. 
But all of the Glendrury guys gone thanks to the animal justice scheme. Which is which is wonderful. I um I rewarded animal justice by placing them much higher on my ballot than I usually do because <laughs> I just thought that was a really punk rock thing to do. Did you then go out and have a steak afterwards just to sort of balance it up? Or? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not a saint, but It was yeah. kind of extraordinary that Glenn Drury was trying to persuade them to put the shooters above Fiona Patton and they're going, but hang on, we're actually, we're animal justice party. We don't believe in shooting animals. Why would we support you? But like Simarek looks like he's gone. All of Darren Hinch um, reps look like they're gone. Um, so the kind of the really crazies are being systematically expunged. Did it happen because there were more candidates than ever before in Victoria and far and away more utterly crazy ones than ever before. There were lots of you know, angry Victorians parties and Dan Andrew must must go to jail party and this sort of stuff. At least those parties, they did put on the tin what they were, didn't they? Like angry Victorians party. <laughs> I also didn't quite get the cannabis party because as far as I'm aware, it's already been legalised here and they they just missed that memo and they could just go get stoned right now. Yeah, so interesting, different makeup, but it will miss it. And the Greens will have um, increased their representation and looks like it will be a very firmly progressive legislative council. It's just a, it really does feel like an endorsement of what's happened here the last few years, but also the reality that we're all desperately trying to cling on to in the face of this wall of warped reporting on what's happening here. And I think we should just take it that way, take it as slightly reassuring that we're not losing the plot in the face of this strange gaslighting that is just shoved in our face the entire time. All the time. And do you think this stark example of how wrong the media were and how really a smaller minority was actually interested in any way and supportive of the narrative that they were pushing will lead to any kind of change? When do these things ever get better? I mean, I'm not optimistic about these things. Budgets shrink and outlets close and standards decay I, I rarely see the turn around of that trend I'm, I'm not sure I'm optimistic about it but even down to like the nine papers were still saying on Saturday night as the results were pouring in that it looked like it was going to be a narrow victory for the Labor Party and it was already clear that it was a really firm emphatic if not resounding victory it's, it's almost as if conservative interests align with the people who own commercial news media. <laughs> it's almost as if, I don't know, P- Peter Costello is the chairman of Channel 9. But it was almost then, and what was hilarious, like one of the funniest things about it was then Andrew Bolt the next day was saying that Dan Andrews' only recourse after this emphatic mm. victory was to resign. Yes. Um, because he needed to get out before things caught up with him. Yeah, by, by winning so convincingly, he'd really lost. It is interesting. So despite what it looked like on election night itself, where it looked like the Greens could win at least, we're going to, on track to win at least three seats, um, and that the Teals were, I mean, they remained very competitive, but that they could win perhaps two. And instead, it looks like the Greens will have picked up one additional seat and held the ones that they had, they already had um, and that the Teals will win none. And not only that, but regional independents have now lost to the Nats. And that's interesting to me. Um, I think there's two things that would be interesting to hear your thoughts on, Dave, is that firstly, the role of the stricter donations 
um, rules in Victoria so that um, they couldn't really take advantage of any mass fundraising through things like um, Climate 200 um, vehicles. Uh, and also the role that a gal that galvanising hostility has to play in these seats. So everybody didn't like the Liberals and thought that the opposition was appalling, but that doesn't give quite the same motivation mm. as hating the government of the day in the way that the Teals um, were, that they were able to harness that hostility at a federal level. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? And then perhaps we can all... Um, extrapolate on what that might mean for the Teals nationally in the future when they don't have, you know, Morrison to um, to campaign on as an issue. I think the Teals support was less pronounced at the state level than at federal election for a few reasons. One of them was because a lot of the support behind it was that push for a federal ICAC at the end of the Morrison era. There's no real equivalent in Victoria at the moment. We do have an IBAC system. There are, you know, there are issues around integrity and both candidates did pay lip service to it, but it wasn't what it was, you know, in terms of getting rid of the push to get rid of Morrison. The nationals in Victoria are a different proposition to what they are federally as well. They're, they're not... They're not Barnaby Joyce. They're not as nutty and loony. They are looking at a green future for their farmers, basically, because that is what their constituents actually do need. Yeah. Why they gain some support, I don't think that... I think that's probably just local constituents actually paying attention. Isn't it also that, unlike in the most other states, they're not a sort of mining party that pretends to be a farming party? In Victoria, there's actually they are actually a farming party... Or you know, rural. There's enough farmers and not enough miners, and so I think that means because they're actually talking about splitting off from the libs and just being their own thing, and and that probably suits them in the Victorian context, which is as you say, they want to have a sort of green agrarian sort of thing, and the best way to deliver that is just subsidies to the bush, like it's just agrarian socialism, which is where the country party sort of you know first started. as well might be a little bit unfair to I mean without judging the teals by the kind of unprecedented success that they had at a national level the fact that they won they came so close to winning two blue ribbon seats at a state level and you know for a while and particularly on election night itself looked like they had got Hawthorne and possibly Q the fact that they pushed it to you know it was like 50.5 49.5 I mean that's pretty incredible mm. um, and it does it still is showing that there is a shift um, from it being a two-party system to being a three to four to five mm. party or political block um, kind of system, even if, alas, they didn't quite get over the line in any of them, um, which is kind of unfortunate. And, and I think what it also points to is just as a na- national phenomenon, you know, essentially there was a bit of a candidate quality thing happening in Victoria where the cookers were being turfed out um, of the Liberal Party and people voting against them and, and being quite selective about who they wanted to turf out. And I think in New South Wales, you're probably going to see the same thing with the Teals, which is, you know, the, the Libs are in power there. There is a sort of strong argument to say the Teals should be quite successful. And the truth is that, you know, despite Matt Keane going around, you know, claiming to be basically a teal, yeah. but also being treasurer of New South Wales. Like, even just this week, uh, the Libs have, I think, got rid of their most senior MP, who's a female. Like They've disendorsed her, and I, I think there is a 
total takeover of the Pentecostals up in New South Wales. And I think I think you'll probably see a thing where the Teals do quite well up here because actually, you know, the candidate quality is going to be shit house. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, the, the women problem mm. that the Liberals have nationally, both at a federal and a state level, is just going to be exacerbated because they talk the talk all the time mm. about, you know, we don't want quotas, we're going to have targets, we understand we have to do more. And then systematically at every election, yes. they put up fewer female candidates in winnable seats. When there is a pre-selection contestant, they opt for the, uh, the contest, they opt for the um, male above the women every time. And it's just going backwards. And this kind of willful blindness about that this isn't electorally popular, um, just as we saw in Victoria, is staggering to me. Mm. It's like it's actually staggering. I think they can alienate, you know, over half of the population and there be no electoral consequences. Yeah. I mean, isn't that also a sort of... They've picked that up from the US, haven't they? You know, the US... The Republican Party in the US has very clearly made a decision that they don't really care about the electoral viability. They're going to do voter suppression and stuff like that to sort of, and gerrymandering to, to even well, it all can't, up. You can't do that in, in Australia. I know. You, I, they're they're idiots <laughs> for trying. But and, even, and even in the US, it's not actually working. You know, they're not mm. winning. Um, so I, I it, the stupidity of it all um, and the short-sightedness of it all, like I'm at a loss to try and explain it. Because mm. um, it's well, it this is where you go. Surely, part of it is ideological. They're just going, well, men should run the world. You know, like that is actually that. That's what far-right Christians part, believe. Yeah. You know, they they believe that the man is the head of the household and should have the public role in life. You know? Well, I guess that's true. I mean, that seems so extraordinary that you know one can't perhaps one should not you know reject the obvious. Mm. Like that's the actual answer. That's the answer. That's is, is they actually just yeah. are ideologically committed that it should be white middle-aged men running the world. Dave, what do you think about that? I think we should take these people for their word. They keep telling us who they are. Let's just yeah. believe them. I think I might become one of them. <laughs> what? No, no, let's back that up a little bit. Charles, <laughs> not sure that's the smart play here, buddy. I don't know. I reckon I'd get a high-paying gig on Sky News. Well, it would have been hilarious. Like, I didn't see it all live, but um, the Sky After Dark kind of panel, mm. as it became patently clear that everything that they had saying was uh, not going to happen. In fact, when they were promoting the diametric opposite, then started to unfold, i.e. Labor would, you know, just coast into victory. They just, it was like their eyes, hearts, state, country was betraying them all at once. And they kind of fell into silence. They couldn't really even (laughs) talk. They were so horrified by what was unfolding. The look on Peter Credlin's face, like crestfallen and confused. And it it was that hello darkness, my old friend meme just personified. And Tim Smith, like late in the evening, just sort of unleashed, you know, Daniel Andrews for murdering 800 people with his hotel quarantine and private security guards, like, you know, the cooker line. But what the hell was Tim Smith even doing on Sky After Dark? This man was absolutely disgraced. Mm. Like, he was driven out of Parliament because he smashed his car (laughs) into uh, the front front room of the house. It was a children's bedroom. Yeah, like there was nobody killed. And there he is now, apparently a legitimate and credible commentator on the smoking ruins, mm. like quite Joe, literally, that is left Joe, his life. Joe, okay, 
Okay, let's 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 unpack this from a media like ethics point of view. Are you saying if you were running a publication, you wouldn't get someone that drunk drove a car into a child's bedroom on your outlet <laughs> to spout conspiracy theories? Look, I know it's a radical thing, and I'm obviously I'm naive here, but no, I actually would not do that. Mm. I just I would, but I'd uh, give, <laughs> I'd give them a cab charge to get home. <laughs> Now, can we just talk about how much fun it is for the drip feeding of excerpts from Nikki Sabber's book uh, as they flow through the media? And even, like, honestly, some of the things that his friends, like Alex Hawke, are saying about him and were prepared to say about him to Nikki and now in the national press is um, is just, look, it warms all of our hearts, I'm sure. So what's the juiciest bit then, Joe? Well, they're basically all just lining up to saying yeah, the power had gone to his head um, and that he basically would listen to no one he would pepper all of his meetings with juicy biblical quotes that he had found um, interesting and thought he would share with the national cabinet and perhaps they too would draw inspiration from i don't know if it's interesting and I, i suppose it was fairly obvious but there is confirmation that basically nobody was prepared um and nobody did step up and say, what the fuck are you doing? Um, you're leading us to electoral oblivion. Why are you going to Hawaii? Why, when the nation is burning, why should we be lying about it? Like everybody was cowed uh, into submission um, to enact his kind of crazy agenda without question. Mm. And that happened certainly through his office um, and through the cabinet. Uh, and it seemed even through the public service. And, you know, look where it got us all. I think we're living in the age of bluster. Donald Trump started the age of bluster. Elon Musk is the current sort of <laughs> iteration of it. But all all around the world, like the Boris Johnsons and the Scott Morrisons, they're all people who had nothing to offer the world, nothing but bluster. There was nothing behind them. I've worked with people who've had bluster before, especially when I was young. I worked with this person who had only bluster, and it can get you very far because... If you can control everyone through unbelievable confidence and then ruling by fear by just being a dickhead to everyone around you, <laughs> you end up you end up accommodating that person because that's human nature is to just accommodate and sort of placate. It's it's manipulating the fact that none of us feel like we mm. know what we're doing and we're all very insecure about it and we just need an adult to tell us what to do. Mm. And these people take on that role and it's very easy to convince mm. a whole bunch of people if you just tell them you're right. Wow. I mean, it does seem extraordinary that they all, each of those three people could rise to actually the top office in mm. their country without anyone mm. saying, mm. actually, what the fuck? And that goes to the disintegration of some of our institutions. If parties were stronger, if, if the actual sort of public service was stronger, if there was a sort of more oversight, better integrity and stuff like that. Where are the checks and balances on bluster? Yes. Well, and I think to that point is well, that we can see actually the very real consequences of the public service being um, swayed by the bluster through the RoboDebt um, Robo Royal Commission. Mm, um, yes. And the fact that um, at every turn... Um, all of these public servants were trying to find ways to create systems that would claw back money um, from, you know, 
the most vulnerable in our community because they knew that that was the agenda of the government of the day. Mm. You know, some of the the facts of the way that our public servants behaved um, through that very shameful period, as is now being revealed, are like genuinely shocking Mm. Um, with actually a capacity to ignore the fact that at the end point of the systems that they were deliberately designing was going to be the most vulnerable being terrorised and bullied by the state. Just shocking. It's heartening to think that we started this podcast with the idea that actually the voters saw through the media's spin on things and the echo chamber and things like that and that the, the ultimate backstop, you know, in so many cases of bluster and things like that, have been voters like they have that you know like in the face of institutional decline they have acted as the backstop where they go nah fuck it like trump's a fucking idiot like or you yeah. know boris or morrison's an idiot what i think is really interesting is someone like elon musk doesn't have a ballot box um likes and retweets to, to hold him accountable well he may though like if he actually goes broke mm. i mean yes that's his ballot box like, that will become the test. I mean, alas, we will all go down with that ship um, if if Twitter dies. But uh, oh, it'll be worth I mean, it, though. It'll be worth it. <laughs> it'll be good watching. It really will. <laughs> he tweeted some crazy stuff overnight. Just loony shit. Yeah. Well, he's 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 going to war with Apple. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you know the secret thirty percent tax that was actually fully explained yeah. by uh, you know. Jobs at the time, it's like you, you're mad. Like he literally yeah. does seem mad. And the people with whom he's interacting and that he's promoting are the worst mm. um, of the extremists. Oh yeah, they are the worst people on Twitter. They're the right wing nut jobs. They just when when they discover your tweets, you're always in for a terrible evening yeah. or two. He, he tweeted out, "I wonder what life would be like in 88 million years." Right? Oh, yeah. 88 is the far right code, code yeah, for. Kind of Hitler. Hitler. But then yeah. there was lots of sort of exchanges about that um, around the 88 and all of these sort of weird right-wing kind of memes and, and codes and so on. And he's sort of actively engaging yes. in them. And it's like, I mean, I, I have gone down rabbit holes of conspiracy theories about how it is that um, Musk came to own Twitter, uh, which was that he was going to join the board uh, and that was all in train. But then the you know this then CEO of Twitter just sort of just said offhandedly and quite casually as it was just a casual thing that he would you know they'd have to do the due diligence on him and that that was going to reveal that most of his academic qualifications are actually fraudulent mm. like he's lied about the different types of degrees that he has from different institutions and so rather than let that happen he sort of threw a tantrum and then said fuck you I'm going to buy you and then. Not that he really wanted to, but it set in train that inexorable kind of motion um, that ended up with him, um, despite trying to back out a million times, owning Twitter at exorbitant <laughs> cost that he can't really afford. I wish I made mistakes like that. That would be very funny. What hope do the rest of us have of overcoming our insecurities if the world's richest man is going to be driven to bankruptcy by just <laughs> needing the internet to like him? It's... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is true. Like, if he if he was funnier, he wouldn't have any of these needs. His jokes suck. No, but, he, but he keeps trying to be funny. I mean, and yes. it's just the point where you think, stop. He's a reply he, guy. He, yeah, he thinks yeah. He, he wants to be a poster. He's not a poster. No, he's not a poster at all. It's terrible. Well, we've been talking to 
two of Australia's greatest posters. <laughs> Joe Dyer, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Charles Day. And Australia's most accurate commentator, David Miller. Cheers, guys. We'll see you on Insiders, Dave. Catch you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.